I'm on Garden Street in Marrickville in Sydney's inner west, surrounded by construction sites and a regular stream of trucks passing by. While it might not look like much now, there was a time when this street was home to an annual queer extravaganza. To see this, this street come alive with queer people of colour and music and dancing. There was 1,500 people dancing in the, in the 40 degree heat. We managed to put some sprinklers up. <laughs> we had some floaties. It's such a dream. Right up until the day of their first street party, Heapsgay founder Kat Dopper wasn't even sure it would go ahead. I turn up and the guys are already down here, like, setting up. And the side turned up to Garden Street and it said, Rose closed. And I was like, well, okay, everything, all the ducks yeah. are aligning and um, this, you know, this event is going to happen. Kat had thrown a bunch of Heapsgay parties before, in pubs and gay bars around the city. But in 2017, this party on Garden Street was set to be the biggest one yet, with music, art, food, and street performances. The street is lined with tall industrial brick walls. I'm pretty sure the incredible Xanthi Dobie had projections on here. Oh, wow. If those walls could talk, I think that it would have seen a lot of kissing, you know, that yes. expression on the dance floor, the bumping, the grinding, the cuddles, the kissing. Um, what else would it have seen? I love that. This that wall has probably never looked as good again. No, it, it hasn't. was almost it had a full full face of makeup on. Yes, <laughs> just for us. Yeah, um, would have seen a couple of naked bodies. I think we yeah. love a good naked dance under the stars. I'm Al Grigg, and this is Red Bull's If These Walls Could Talk, a podcast about the venues, parties, and people that have shaped Sydney's nightlife. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the country on which we record and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. This season, we focus on the LGBTQI party scene, and in this episode, we hear about Heapsgate host of larger-than-life queer celebrations and purveyor of good times. A heapscape party could be a decadent, debaucherous ball in the heart of the city or an industrial street full of colourful queers dancing naked under the stars. Arriving at the street party, you're greeted by queer artists before you even step foot onto Garden Street. There was a, a beautiful performance artist called Marlena Dali, I believe, um, meeting and greeting people. Oh, we had um, this incredible group called um, Two Boys in Saris. They're from Parramatta, but they're also, um, they grew up in Singapore and they've got Indian descent and they um, use food and performance and things oh. and they were set up just over this side here and they were inviting people into their space and giving them tea and performing with them um, and then if you kept heading up to the Sydney pit works you can see <laughs> here, uh, there was a bunch of floaties and there's a little pop-up stage and I think you probably could smell some sort of chicken and some slow-cooked beef somewhere, yeah. some Wish. foodies, inner west foodie stores, yeah. very gourmet. And who would have been performing? Who was performing throughout um, the days? So we had Nairi, um, and that was such a beautiful experience because she she did the sunset set, um, and we had these giant inflatable balloons that said love is love. The year after we had touch sensitive, which obviously disco and yeah. beautiful the sun setting, and then we had this amazing performance artist from America called Cakes to Killer. 
Right. He's like a rapper. He's okay. been around for a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. He's got the smuttiest voice. He's just like, who am I sleeping with tonight? It's just so great. And he ended up jumping off the stage and like dancing in the crowd. There's a couple of really funny things that I should tell you about that happened on that day. Yeah, go for it, please yeah. tell us. So, and no one knows this is really funny. So, um, it was the lockout year. I'll preface this by saying, I have a very, very good relationship with the police um, and the key, the key stakeholders that, that help us bring these events to the yeah, community. Yeah. There was obviously a massive police presence here and there was one particular performance artist crew that were performing and they're called Gang of She. And it's made up of these individual performance artists in their own right, but they're a collective and they like to kind of uh, make a statement in the kind of works that they create. And so I never actually police Sometimes, like, like you obviously curate a show, but you don't want to kind of, kind of dictate what an artist needs to say because mm. I guess it's about, you know, making a statement within their works. And so, Gang of She really like to um, push the boundaries in terms of like making a political statement. And so they were the finale of <laughs> the event, and the police had come to the space and they'd said to me, right, I need you to turn the music down. And I was like, well, it's in my DA that the music can go till 10.45. And she's like, no, you need to turn it down. And I was like, no, but she's like, no buts, cat. You have to turn it down. So I turned the music down and Gang of She just happened to be on the stage performing. <laughs> and at that very time, Gang of She comes out dressed as policemen <laughs> with, with whistles screaming yes. and pointing. And I'm standing next to the police from the Inner West Council that are looking at me like this. And everyone's booing the police that are standing oh. next to me and cheering on these people on the stage. And I'm like, uh-oh. And she's so like, Cat, you didn't have to make fun of us. And oh. I was like, I promise you, I had no idea that the artists were gonna come out and mimic the police. And so it was so funny. And I was just oh, like, man. please let us do this again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was such an interesting time for me. Actually, I was a, I'll never do this again yeah. at 12, 30 when our scissor lift ran out of fuel oh. with a portaloo on it oh, in the it. middle of the street when we were bumping out and we were supposed to give the keys back to the city oh, right. at 6 a.m. Um, okay. I was on the phone to like Mark Gibbons at the factory theatre being like, can we come and get some fuel please? <laughs> But despite the I'll never do this again moments, the thrill of putting together a big queer street party is something Kat can't help coming back to year after year. The next morning I woke up and I started crying because I was so overwhelmingly tired but grateful and happy that it was good. It's like one of the highest risks event in terms of like the budget and the amount of stakeholders and head hours that has to come into it. And then like, you know, it could rain and it could be the end of it. And you know, there's lots of different things that could affect the space and the event to go ahead, but it's so worth it. Yeah, being down here, it's all kind of very like beige, industrial, you know, like it's not much to look at, but then how do you go about sort of queering a space like this? I guess what's so good about queer spaces is that they're made up by of beautiful individuals that um, express themselves in lots of different ways. And so it's about expression and love and community and being, you know, beautiful in whatever way that is to an individual, essentially. So yeah. insert 1500 colorful people <laughs> yeah. into a street like this and you've got a sweet party. Kat didn't grow up in Sydney. She lived in Condoblin until she was eight or nine and then moved with her family to the Lower Blue Mountains. She studied primary school teaching at uni. And then I went to London and kind of found myself in London, to be honest. Like, 
the scene, realised I was a lesbian over there and really came to, to find out really who I was, um, going to lots of different clubs and venues over in London. Kat was 25, living in a new city, had made the huge realisation that she was gay and was ready to party. She found her scene at the Georgian Dragon, a pub in East London. So it's sort of like a shitty old man pub, but full of young creative people that are just sort of expressing themselves on the dance floor, um, dressed up, colourful. You never really knew what you were going to get with the music as well. It really felt like a house party. And I don't think that's even around anymore. I think that's actually closed down. When I realised who I was and was so excited, I was down there trying to meet hot babes um, as a young lesbian girl. And this space was basically what inspired Heaps Gay. In 2012, Kat headed back to Sydney, excited to explore its queer scene. So I went to Oxford Street like everybody does, went to a lot of the gay clubs on Oxford Street. Very overwhelmed, <laughs> not gonna lie, except for Palms on Oxford Street, which is like a banger, but it sort of feels like you're in an RSL with Smooth FM playing. That's my vibe, <laughs> still my vibe now. And then I also checked out some lesbian parties um, back in the day. There was one called Girl Thing, another one called Moist, another one called Bitch. Very, you know, strong terms. <laughs> and also very, very overwhelmed. Um, and one of the things that I felt wasn't, not necessarily was missing, but something that I wanted to experience was it didn't feel super inclusive of my heterosexual friends because I didn't have any like LGBT pals at the time and was going out with my pals who were really supportive of me kind of finding out who I was. And so it was actually my pals that helped me come up with the idea of throwing my own event. So I actually started Heaps Gay because I was flicking through some street mags. You know when street mags were a thing before the digital era. And I was sitting on my lunch break and I was flicking through this like street mag. It was like an LGBT mag. I think it was like Star Observer or something like that back in the day. And in the back there was like an ad which was a grant for somebody. If you did something for the lesbian community, you could get a thousand bucks. And I did and I got a thousand dollars to put on my own party. Kat invited her mates over for a barbecue where they started throwing around some names. Heaps Gay was literally the first thing that somebody had said because we were like, what works? You know, there's a poof doof, there's like a gay bash, and we're like, okay, the crass, the better. Yeah. Um, and Heaps Gay was kind of thrown out. And interestingly, it also made sense because growing up in condo, one of the terms that is used quite often and back in the day in the 80s and 90s in Australia, super Aussie, is that's so gay, you know. Yeah. It's like you're so gay, that's gay. Heaps gay was about essentially reclaiming of that term for the community and for the parties that I do today. So kind of made sense and it stuck. With a name and a thousand bucks, Kat organised the first ever heaps gay party at the Lord Gladstone Hotel in Chippendale. It was, back in the day, like a shitty old man pub and that was so good. Like it, there's a little laneway behind um, the, the pub and everyone was like flowing out into the back lanes and sitting in the gutter and Cato, as, as a DJ, is still around such a legend. I think DJed at the first or one of those earlier events and then we had some really incredible installation and projection artists. I think Benji Ra danced at one of them and Sveta performed and DJed and Jackie Cunningham. So all these kind of like iconic DJs from all different parties performed and DJed. 
It was on that night, during one moment, that Kat fell in love with throwing parties. It was actually Kato. Um, he was like playing on this like sweaty dance floor at the, at the Gladstone and it was like a dance track or something. And then he like dropped just like a prayer by Madonna and the entire room was like screaming, singing and screaming and like hands in the air. There was like sweaty, it was like everyone dancing and singing. And it was that moment of like literally everybody letting go of their inhibitions and like, it's like, not a daggy song, it's a cool song, but it was sort of like everyone kind of being like, oh, this is cool, oh, yes, yeah, this is so great. And it's like that moment of um, joy, pure, pure joy on the dance floor that you get with the person and belting a song and, you know, like yeah. that feeling. I remember just being so, so happy and being like, this is incredible. With the first party a success, Kat started to throw heapscape parties once a month. Back then, the scene was really, really different. And I think it really, um, Heapscape was really at the forefront of creating that inclusive space. It's really that like accessible place, like anyone is welcome. Like it was really a mix of male, female, non-binary, like it was inclusive of everybody. And it really didn't have kind of a skew to any one particular demographic. Um, it was really youthful. So like everyone was just there and everyone was just like really happy in a crazy way. So it sort of felt like a house party. And which is what I essentially loved about the Georgian Dragon back in London. It was like, you never really knew what you were gonna get. And that's what I've tried to keep doing with every event that I do. Kat's mission has been to keep surprising people and push the boundaries of what a heapscape party can be. Seeking out spaces where you wouldn't normally expect to find a queer party. I've done a party in a barber shop <laughs> in Darlow. Couple of car parks. Car parks were a big one for us for a couple of years, around 2016-17, with gentrification and noise complaints and things that we do not get access to those car parks as much as we would want to. They were so good. Um, uh, a couple of my favourites, the State Library of Victoria in Melbourne, such a beautiful, iconic building. There's a reading room. It's like the shape of a pentagon with this, like, beautiful desk in the middle and it's all books. It's insane. Wow. And I was like, are you sure you want to let us do a party in here? <laughs> we had like these incredible underground DJs playing and we we're all dancing around. It was so great. And I think it was because they were renovating it. They actually let us in there, to be fair. We've done um, streets, car parks, pubs. Oh, the Centrepoint Tower. We did a Centrepoint Tower party. Yeah, it was very cool. So it was like the tallest building in Sydney. One of their biggest feats is undoubtedly the Queen's Ball, an annual event thrown as part of Sydney's Vivid Festival where Heaps Gay lays claim to Sydney Town Hall. Confetti cannons and glitter and like mess, but um, yeah, it's wonderful. So it's curated with lots of different artists and musicians. And <clears throat> when I do the Queen's Ball, I really try and think about really how to just mix it up with insanely different experiences and so we started the Queen's Ball with a procession. So because Sydney Town Hall is so iconic, we're like, let's get a bunch of legends and we will march from Oxford Street with big signs and we will officially open the ball with this beautiful marching band that'll end up on stage. And so we did that. I remember Stephen Ferris from Vivid just being like, all right, Kat, that sounds a little bit crazy, but you do what you gotta do. And I was like, no, it's gonna be good. Listen, I promise it's gonna be great. And so, um, yeah, we created a ruckus down 
George Street and officially flung open the doors of the Sydney Town Hall and then all of the audience had already arrived that were looking so beautiful because everybody goes to town with like decadent headpieces and big dresses and drag numbers and so the crowd parted and this procession like ended up going through the uh, hall and ended up on stage and I think Hannah and Eliza Riley were the hosts in the first year. So the second year, Freddie and Nip were hosting and everyone ends up in this big procession on stage and everyone's dancing. And then they officially welcome everyone to the ball. And then everyone dances and it's so great. Electric Fields performed um, one year. They're a duo from Adelaide and they play traditional music. Their voice like an angel, just insanely beautiful. Yeah, it was great and everyone dances around. It's beautiful, beautiful space and party. And if those Victorian-era sandstone walls could talk, well, they'd have a story about absolutely everybody at the Queen's Ball. We had a bit of a heritage act. We had Vanessa Amorossi. So we got her in drag and we had um, a bunch of different performance artists and drag queens and we had 20 backup dancers and we had confetti and we had her carried in. We had four bear boys so bear boys dressed up as it with white angel wings and bear chests carry her in on like a pedestal and then they flew around her as angel boys and she sang shine on stage and then it turned into the dancers who did like split jumps and like to absolutely everybody and then a bunch of the performance artists did backups to her with her new track which is like a real country song. Kat experienced one of those moments as a hall full of glittery queers let loose, belting out absolutely everybody alongside Vanessa Amorossi. It went off. After only two street parties in Garden Street, the site was demolished with the West Connects development. Kat and the Heapsgay team were on the hunt for a new place to throw Heapsgay street parties, which are now called Roadwork, with an E. In 2020, they set it on Sable Street, another spot in Marrickville up around the corner. The summer was smoky and the air full of ash as the black summer bushfires swept the country. But the week of Heapsgay was an anomaly. And it rained that whole week and everyone was like, oh my God, are you canceling the street party? And I just switched the narrative and was like, we've wanted rain. Get your raincoats, come and dance in the rain and I want to see everyone here. And it actually worked, so we had like maybe like 70% of people that bought tickets came down. There was some sprinkles, it was yeah. overcast, but it was actually good because it wasn't 40 degrees and, was, and we were dancing around yeah. and, and it was great. My partner gets really frustrated at me because she's like, you're so bloody, <laughs> everyone's risk adverse and you're just like, nah, just <laughs> let's just do it. Standing on Sable Street in Marrickville with planes roaring overhead and trucks passing by every 30 seconds, it's hard to imagine this area has become home to a large slice of Sydney's art scene. So we're standing across from the chicken shop, um, which is a chicken factory. It's bloody hard to find a park down here. It's like, like it's crazy industrial, busy zones. What I love about Marrickville is the industrial feel. And what I also love about Marrickville is the arts that's come out of this area. Like, mm. When you think of Sydney as this like, glittering, glamorous, like Harbour City, but then it's like all of the sort of best creative stuff actually just comes out of like very sort of nondescript 
suburban industrial zone. Yeah, no, so it's totally. amazing contrast. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's like if you look at Sydney in, from a bigger picture perspective, it does look like this bright, shiny city. But like if you dive deep, the incredible subcultures that come out of this city are insane. And that's where the best art comes from creative people and passionate people that just start their things with their crew and focus on what they love and care about. That's what creates community and arts and especially in our queer scene. As queer culture has become more mainstream, venues in Sydney have evolved a lot. The need for secret hidden spaces might not be as relevant as it was in the past, but the need for queer community spaces is still as important as ever. I think there will always be a need for queer spaces because of um, community and people that need to come together and find their chosen family or, you know, feel free to express who they are without judgment. While these iconic venues in the past often focused on a certain segment of the community, Kat thinks the future is more inclusive of every segment of the LGBTQI plus family. Young people are growing up um, and it's less about labels today and it's more about just being who you want to be, you know? And so I think like people are so much more aware and so much keener to push back on this gender binary that exists and queer culture is a lot more in the mainstream. So I guess, you know, people are just open to going out and being who they are and feel safe in any place. So parties, I think, will always exist and be important for those like-minded people to come together and celebrate. A vibrant nightlife makes a city. But for queer people, it's more than that. It's a protest. It's a protest against the injustices that happen, that currently exist within this world. Kat started Heaps Gay because she couldn't find the place she wanted to party. And she's excited to see others doing the same, creating parties when they see a gap in the city's nightlife. There's lots of really great underground um, and grassroots groups that are producing things for the LGBTQIA plus community. There's actually so many. Um, and before COVID, on a particular weekend, there'd be parties in all of our LGBT venues. So like the Imperial, the um, Universal Red Rattler and the Tit, and the Bitter Tit, obviously an incredible space and so relevant and important for our community. Like it's so fun to see all of these new and exciting spaces and they're very, very performance led as well. And also as young people find out who they are and as they grow, those spaces exist for people to work out who they are. It's about self-expression and it's about finding people and chosen people on the dance floor without judgment. So they are 100% going to exist for sure. The venues and parties that thrive and turn into legend are the ones that simmer with community, that draw their energy from the queer people who crave partying surrounded by people who get it. I think the future for Heaps Gay will be really about what the community wants and what the community needs. And, you know, I'm so grateful for the community that have come on this journey because it is about community. But what happens is like, um, and with Heaps Gay especially, it started as a really niche audience, you know, it started as a super queer audience and it's kind of become a very inclusive event of everybody. Um, and so it's navigating and making sure that Heaps Gay doesn't grow or not be relevant to particular audiences that, that it's set out to create space for. Kat is always looking to who is on the margins. Who are the emerging artists, the mind-blowing new musicians, always asking what are the underground subcultures that aren't being celebrated? And that's something that's really important for me. It's like finding these incredible, interesting, unique artists that may not necessarily have had a platform somebody somewhere else. So they come together at these heaps gays and they can perform in front of all these people and they can build their own audiences. I'm really excited about COVID going away and dance floors opening again. 
for us all to come together and dance. And it's been a long time since the lights went out, so really keen to turn that mirror ball back on again. Thanks for listening to If These Walls Could Talk. For more nightlife stories from the world of Red Bull, head to redbull.com forward slash nightlife.